Welcome to Sparks of History. We are extremely pleased to have with us today Professor Shai Davidai. Professor Davidai is Assistant Professor in the Management Division of Columbia Business School, Columbia University. His research examines people's everyday judgments of themselves, other people, and society as a whole. Professor Davidai's impassioned remarks at the October 19th visual at Columbia students uh, garnered widespread attention, uh, quoted as having said to every parent in America who sends their child to NYU, to Harvard, to Stanford, to Berkeley, I want you to know, uh, we cannot protect your children from pro-terror student organizations. That was said at, at the visual and got widespread attention on, on, on social media platforms. Uh, Professor Dovidai, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you for having me and, and for, for creating this historical record. Thank you. Um, just to start off, what was the response of Columbia University's leadership to the events of October 7th? And how do you explain that response? If, if I'm being honest, I'm still waiting for its response. Okay. Right? Columbia University um, has yet to uh, use the word Hamas in its official communications to the community. So, you know, I've been, I've been making the point of Israel says with Hamas these, these crimes against humanity. Hamas not just admits, but films and boasts the fact that they engage in these crimes against humanity. Iran, Hezbollah, like all of these terror organizations are saying Hamas did this. The only institutions in the world that are denying the fact that Hamas did this by not naming Hamas by name are the universities at Columbia. University of Columbia has used the word Hamas in its official communications only once, and that's when they were emailing alumni that stopped giving money. So when it comes to money, they're okay with using the word Hamas, but to the staff, faculty, and students, nothing. Um, in addition to their lack of condemnation of Hamas, which is still morally appalling to me, and I and I, I don't understand how we're at that point three months in, they have uh, allowed campus organizations that celebrate Hamas to not just um, operate on campus, but actually proliferate on campus. They uh, allow campus organizations that chant uh, Hamas propaganda like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is Hamas propaganda uh, to chant uh, globalize the intifada, which again is Hamas propaganda. They're allowing them to uh, to roam free on campus. Um, so when people ask me, like, how has Colombia reacted to this? I say they haven't. Uh, they are trying to keep her head down, uh, believing that everything will be fine if they stay out of the New York Times uh, headlines. And we're here, we're here to remind them, like, no, like, you're Jewish and Israeli community members, and your non-Jewish community members that are as equally concerned by safety are not going away. Is the argument, um, or have they made the arguments uh, in their non-response, uh, you know, a university campus, a college campus is committed to free speech, that's our policy, and we don't get involved in political issues, or is, is that not really true because the university might have in the past got involved in many, many political issues? So 
in in behind the scene conversations, that's exactly what I've been told. University doesn't take a stance on any political issue. Um, I've even been told the university is not in the business of morality, which to me was one of the most abhorrent things I've ever heard. Um, but that would be fine if not for the track record of the university taking a moral and political stance, as I believe they should have on many, many different issues. You know, George Floyd's horrible murdering, uh, the anti-Asian uh, peak of uh, uh, hate in, in the United States, the crimes against Asians, um, Roe versus Wade's um, decision in the Supreme Court, um, the war in Ukraine, uh, the uh, the abducted girls, in, of uh, Nigerian girls in Boko Haram, they have made a point of opining about each and everything. Only when it comes to Jewish and Israelis individuals, civilians, girls, babies, all of a sudden the university says, we're not making any, any point. We're, we, we believe in free speech. And I say, this is an infringement of our civil rights. If you truly believe in free speech, you should believe in free speech for everything about everyone, however abhorrent it is. Now, that's not my own personal view, but if that's the stance you want to take, then, then be my guest. But that's not what we're doing. We're using a double standard when it comes to casualties, when it comes to civilian deaths, when it comes to uh, victims of terror. They are happy to denounce it so long as the civilian uh, or the victims are not Jewish or Israeli. And that is my concern, that the university is is lacking the moral backbone of treating Jews and Israelis in with equal respect. Are, are Jewish students at Columbia actually fearful? How does that manifest itself? And I think you've answered this, but have the administration done anything to alleviate those fears? So yes, yeah, so that's a that's a multifaceted question. So so first, yes, um, obviously there uh, you know it it, it it ebbs and flows uh, based on what's happening on campus. But I have talked with students right after they have walked by or through a pro Hamas protest on campus, and I can see I can see them shivering. I can see their fear in their eyes, and I can understand it because they are 19-year-old, I am 40-year-old, and I have the exact same emotional reaction when I walk through these protests. Um, in addition, these students are faced with anti-Semitic rhetoric in their dorms, in their classes, by their fellow students, and by professors that teach them. So yes, they are scared. Um, how has the university reacted to that? I think the university is, is um, taking the, the path of least resistance, right? They were unwilling to do anything until I spoke up. It became, uh, you know, reluctantly viral, I would say, it became very, uh, a lot of people watched. So the university decided we have to do something. So they created a, uh, a task force against anti-Semitism. They said the task force is going to, you know, make concrete steps. It's been almost three months and we have seen nothing from that task force. And the reason is because they they stack the task force with people that 
don't necessarily want to make big changes in the university. They want to play some sort of whack-a-mole of like, here's an anti-Semitic uh, incident, we'll deal with that. Here's one uh, problematic student, we'll deal with that. Rather than realizing there is an institutionalized problem that is part of the fabric of the university, the staff that have been not only allowing the pro-Hamas rallies to go on, but they actually protected the organizations, the faculty that have been advising these organizations behind the scenes, the faculty that have written in support of these organizations, right? So this is an institutional issue. The university really is not doing anything about that. Um, and is again- it, Is this task force an internal task force or do they take people from outside the university for this task Internal, force? a completely internal. If you look at Columbia University's uh, method of dealing with everything is keeping their head down. The New York Times wrote a very, very- positive article about the president of Columbia University on how she has been able to stay out of the limelight. Now, of course, everyone knows that that was, you know, uh, the New York Times article from December 28th was something that the PR people from Columbia kind of, you know, pushed on the New York Times because they couldn't find even one person to criticize the university and, and, and the leadership in that article. And I tell you, if you drop a pin anywhere on campus, you will hit a Jew or a non-Jew that, that has a full belly, a full stomach on how the university is dealing. So they're trying to keep their head down. They're creating internal task force that do nothing. They write vacuous emails that mean nothing. But when it comes to taking actions, they have completely done you know, no. And how has the dialogue been between yourself and your colleagues, whether it's at the business school or outside the business school? We've mentioned before faculty that are advising perhaps the pro-Hamas, the students, the organizations. What, what kind of dialogue are you having with your colleagues? Are, are they criticizing you? Are they engaging with you and understanding your point of view? So we, we have to separate colleagues into three different groups, right? So we have the Jewish and Israeli colleagues and the, the positive side of everything that's happening is that we are now stronger and more connected than ever. And we realize that this, the university is, is not protecting us and our children. And we have to remember, we are employees. We're not just, you know, some random members. We're employees of this organization. Then we have on the, on the other side, the the the, the pro Hamas uh, professors, which unfortunately for a lot of them, you know, some of them are explicitly pro Hamas. Some of them would say, "I am not pro Hamas," but when they signed on a letter calling Hamas's massacre on October seventh a military response, right? I see them as pro Hamas. They are apologists for Hamas. But then the vast majority of of my colleagues in my in the business school and the university are just idle standbyers. Those that know me have personally reached out, have been really nice, really supportive, caring about me. But publicly, they are unwilling to take a moral stance. And what's worse, some of them have criticized what I'm doing for harming the university. And when I ask them, what, what do you mean? How does this harm the university? 
and say, well, you know, donors are are pulling out. Well, uh, the media is talking about the university in a certain way. And I said, well, well, you have to make something clear. When when the finger points at the sky, the idiots look at the finger, right? The the donors are pulling out not because of who the fact that I'm saying things, but because of the reality that I'm pointing at. The the media is is criticizing the university not because of me, but because of the truth that I'm unveiling, right? So I I think there's there's a lot of concern among the people the the the, the silent majority that they think. If they can just keep her head down, things will be okay. And they don't realize if you are not, you're not taking a moral stance against crimes against humanity, you are allowing those crimes against humanity to happen again and again, which Hamas has said that they will do. How are the um, anti-Israel pro-Hamas protests, how has that morphed into anti-Semitism? Uh, you know, there's always the argument I'm not an anti-Semite. I'm, you know, I'm in favor of the rights of the Palestinians. How in, at Columbia do you think that's that's morphed into anti-Semitism? Yeah, and to, to answer that, I first have to say that I am also in favor of the Palestinian people. I'm in favor of Israeli people and the Palestinian people, just not Hamas. I personally, and people can have an argument about it, I believe in a true in a two-state solution. What we see what we've seen is happening on campuses, not just Columbia's campus, but I, I can attest from Columbia's campus, is the shifting rhetoric from criticizing Israel's policies and Israel's gov government and Israel's military actions to criticizing the existence of Israel. And I think that is the point where the shift, where they shift from being a geopolitical debate to being an anti-Semitic hatred, right? Because you and I can have an argument about U.S. policies, U.S. foreign policies, U.S. policies in Iraq and Afghanistan, but, but we won't say, given that, the U.S. has no right to exist. Americans have no right for freedom and life, because that would be preposterous. The same with Russia. I oppose Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I think Putin is a hor horrible dictator. But I don't think that all Russians are to blame. And I don't think that Russia has no right to exist. But when it comes to Israel, these voices on campus and in politics, all of a sudden, they, they, they make the leap from I oppose the policies to I oppose their existence. Now, given that Israel is the only state for the Jewish people, they oppose the existence of the state for the Jewish people. And to me, and, and in many, many people's books, that is anti-Semitic. Now, of course, you can also see uh, the rhetoric that they use, right? From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And I always ask, free from what? You know, if, if just say the quiet part out loud. It's free from Jews. That's what you're saying. You can see the posters that they use using the Star of David. I'm holding, I have the Star of David here, which is a Jewish symbol. You know, throwing the Star of David into the trash. That has nothing to do with Israel. You have crossed the line to hating the Jews for, for being Jews. And of course, if you look at my social media presence, uh, which I see social media as the 
the beer halls in Munich in 1930s were underground and people kind of wave them away as these are just fanatics. But that's where the anti-Semites of today are hiding. And you can see there they even crossed the line even more and, and completely using every anti-Semitic trope and every anti-Semitic uh, term that, that you can think of. Do you feel betrayed by progressive organizations in the United States? You know, there used to be, um, or there still is, you know, tremendous alliances, uh, of course, the historic alliance between the Jewish community and the African-American community and the civil rights movement, and et cetera, et cetera. Is there a betrayal? Do you feel like betrayal at this point? Yes, I, I think... Um... As someone who sees themselves, I still see myself as a as a very liberal, progressive individual, because my values are liberal, not because of my performative actions on social media or in protest, but because my values are liberal, because I respect every person's life and liberty, regardless of their gender, race, uh, sexual preference, creed, nationality. I feel very betrayed and we all, a lot of us feel very betrayed because you use the word alliance, right? Allies and allyship is a two-way road. You don't just get help from your allies when you need it. You also give back help to your allies when they need you. And we were there, but I personally was there at any major fight Black Lives Matter, anti-Asian hate, LGBTQ community. I am there for all of those fights, not because of some performative reason, because I believe in that fight. And yet to see your allies not just completely ignore you, but in some cases actually turn against you has been, you know, not just heartbreaking, but also it, it shatters your, your worldview. Because you realize you have been used by your allies. And, and, and that, that is a very unfortunate um, thing that's happening in the U.S. right now. And, and so what's next, in your opinion, for not just Colombia, but for American Jews? I mean, the situation in Israel is unknown. We have no idea what, where this is going to take the country, take the people. Um, no one knows. What do you think is next for American Jewry? What changes do you envision? What should American Jews be doing now? So I think the thing that has become very clear uh, since October 7th is on the diaspora side, Jewish Americans and, and all over the world, Jewish, Jews understood that they need Israel. They need Israel because when your neighbors turn on you, you need to know that there's some place you can escape. To. But also the state of Israel understood that it needs the Jews everywhere, not just Orthodox Jews, but also conservative Jews, reformed Jews, and atheist Jews of any ilk, because Jews are Jews. I think that's one thing that has been uh, become very clear. The other thing that's become very clear to a lot of Jews in, in the United States is no matter how you see yourself, like your level of Jewishness, they see you as a Jew. And so long as they see you as a Jew, you are a Jew. So what I see happening next is a few things. One, the, 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 the 
the vitriol of the anti-Semites is, is going to ebb and flow like it always does. But we are not going to forget that it's there. They can take it under the surface, but we are going to know now that it's always there. We were surprised. We were, we were caught in surprise once. We're not going to be caught in surprise again. We're going to know. We, we're keeping a record of who is an anti-Semite and who is an anti-Semite enabler. And that's why, you know, the, the, the holding the institutions accountable is so important. But the other thing that is, that is happening and I see happening all around me is, is not just a reactive reaction from the Jewish community, but also a, a proactive reaction. We, you, you see a lot of coming together as a community, both under religious umbrellas, but also under ethnic community umbrellas. Uh, we're going to see way more young Jewish people uh, being uh, proud of their identity and understanding that so long as the anti-Semitism is so big in the U.S. and so prevalent, your Jewish identity is by definition a political identity. And we're going to see more Jewish activism. We're going to see more Jewish uh, culture coming out. So, so I have a lot of hope for for the light that's going to come out of these dark, this darkness, but we're going to see a lot of darkness as well, and and we're going to have to battle that darkness together. Um, again, this is just the, the, the tip of the iceberg, um, but um, uh, again, thank you so much for for your time today, and you know, on, on this this note of hope, let's let's end on this this hope. I always ask. My guess, are you optimistic or pessimistic? And I think what you're saying is, you know, there's good that's going to come out of it, but it, it's going to be difficult. And, you know, and if we're together, I, then we can handle this hopefully. I always say that I am optimistic because I don't have any other choice. I'm, I, I, if at night when I curl in bed, I'm pessimistic. But then if I want to get out into bed in the morning, I have to be optimistic because the other choice is what do we do? Where do we go? We have nowhere to go. Again, Professor Dundadai, thank you so much today. We appreciate it very much. And you should continue to go from, as they say in Hebrew, from chayot to chayot, from strength to strength and what you're doing. Thank you. Thank you very much.